Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're, of course, continuing our study of 1 Samuel. We've been going verse by verse, passage by passage, all the way through. It's a great history book, really, of the Old Testament where we're seeing the nation of Israel, and we're also seeing the first two kings. First king, of course, is Saul, and the second king, who hasn't become king yet, but that's David. And we've been really seeing the contrast between these two. Saul is a man of the flesh, and David is a man of faith. We've seen that Saul has been rejected by God as being king. He's jealous. He's fleshly, and, and it's going to end sad for him when we get to chapter 31. Of course, David, we call David, and the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. He's trusted God. He's a man of faith. He's been fantastic all the way through. We said that right now there's some issues. Uh, Saul's in a bad shape, and even David is in a bad shape because David is living with the Philistines. He's lived with them for 16 months, and we'll, we'll see what happens uh, today. But it's kind of a microcosm, this next couple of chapters, because we see Saul in chapter 31 ends up death and defeat, while David in our chapter uh, is going to have victory and blessing. As we look at our passage this morning, I want you to think about several things. One is that God is the one that gives the victory. He is our strength and shield. And as we think about going through our Christian lives, it is God who is our strength and shield. And if we're going to have victory, he does it. God's word is always true. We'll see it in this passage. We see it all the time. We're to trust the word of God, live by the word of God. And then finally, the importance of of every person, and, and we're going to think about the, the local church, the local body, how that all fits, and we'll, we'll think about it. When um, we realize the church of God, that our church is, is amazing, that when a person believes in Jesus Christ for eternal life, they're actually placed in the body of Christ, which is called the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 puts us in union in Jesus Christ, in Christ, and God has planned that believers would serve him, and we'd meet together, and we talk about gathering together, and we're very fortunate that we can gather. We can do whatever we want to. We can come anytime we want to, any place, anywhere, so we get together. One of the questions that some people raise is this, like this, who is, in a local church, who is the most important believer in a local church? I mean, who's the key one? And the truth is, the answer is nobody. We're all the same. A lot of people don't understand that, but everyone in the body of Christ is vital. Everyone has different gifts, talents, and abilities, and all must work together for the body to function the way it's supposed to. Every believer has gifts, talents, and abilities which are needed for the body to function. The reason I brought that up is we're going to see in this passage that some people went to fight and some people stayed by the baggage. Now, does that mean that some are more important than the others, or how does all that work? We're going to see that after the victory, David comes back, and he brings back the spoil, and there's some people who said, these guys didn't go fight, so they don't get any of this, and we'll see what David has to say. Realize the body of Christ is so unique that every one of us in this room who know Christ as Savior, you have eternal life, and you have at least one spiritual gift, at least one. You may have more than one that you can exercise, that you can use within the body of Christ. And so may you realize how valuable you are in the body. We'll talk more about it as we get into the passage. In the last few weeks, we've been seeing this battle. Five of the kings of the Philistines, they have five cities. The five kings have decided to come together and attack the Jewish people. David is no longer living with the Jewish people. He's been living with the Philistines. And in fact, it's almost expected that David is going to go fight against his own people. Meanwhile, Saul realizes, Saul is the king of Israel. He realizes that the Philistines are coming after him and they don't know what to do. And so Saul, is instead of turning to God, he actually turns to a witch. 
And we're going to see the big contrast, and we'll see it later on in our passage, that when things go wrong for Saul, he turns to a witch. When things go wrong for David, he turns to God. And that's really the, the difference. And so we're going to see that Saul actually goes to a witch to try to get what's going to happen in the future. And God raises Samuel from the dead. And when God raised Samuel from the dead, he's going to give him a message. And God raises Samuel up. And here's the message. And we saw this several weeks ago. First of all, Saul will lose the kingdom to David. David has been afraid. Ever since David, David has always been afraid. Ever since he's seen David be, be loved by the people, Saul is jealous of David. Saul is the king, but he's now been rejected. He's so afraid David's going to take the kingdom. God says David's going to take the kingdom. He says the Philistines will win the battle. Can you imagine being Saul about to go into a battle knowing that you're going to lose the battle? And the third thing that Samuel told him was that Saul and his sons would be killed. Now, let me just tell you something, what is amazing. Samuel was a prophet of God. Even though he's dead, God has raised him up to give a message to Saul. It says in the Bible that everything that Samuel ever prophesied, everything that he ever said, always came true. So we can guarantee that Saul will lose the kingdom to David, the Philistines will win the battle, and Saul and his sons will be killed. That's going to be chapter 31. We'll see that. Well, what's, what about David? What's going on now? Well, I want to remind you that David was with the Philistines. We don't understand why David is there. I want you to think about the nation of Israel. Samuel, who was the greatest man of all, is dead. Saul is no leader, and Saul's going to a witch to try to get information. He's not a leader. David, the great one, is not even living with Israel. He's living with the Philistines. So Israel as a whole, they're in really bad shape. So David is with the Philistines. They get ready to go to battle. A king by the name of Achish, David has been helping him. And they get ready to go. And the Philistines look back and go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not taking these Jews. We're fixing to go fight Jews. We're not taking Jews with us. They could turn on us. We know who this David guy is. Well, Achish says, well, he's great. He's been with me for 16 months. He's great. They said, we don't care how great you think he is. He's not going. So Achish says, you can't go. So David and his 600 men go back home, and when they get to their home, it's called Ziklag, it's leveled to the ground, burned completely up. And there's no dead bodies, so they found out that the group called the Amalekites came in and actually captured all the people, took them off, and burned the city to the ground. And that's where we are, and it's such a a sad thing that when David comes back, all the women and children are taken. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone. And they carried him off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. I mean, it's just horrible. So David, they come back and they go, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, and in reality, things have gone from bad to worse. And while David is there, some of his men say, wait a minute, David, this is your fault. And so they even talk about stoning David. If you look at verse 6 of chapter 30, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. So what's David going to do? When Saul got in a bad place, Saul went to a witch. When David gets in a bad place, David goes to God. And it says in chapter 30, verse 6, but David strengthened himself 
in the Lord. Let me tell you, when things go wrong in our lives, and they do, and they will, you got to go to God. In fact, when things are going good, you go to God. In fact, what we should do is maintain our fellowship with him and always be strengthened from the Lord, realize that he is our strength and shield. We can't make it without him. We think we can, we're going to get up and go through the days, but God is our strength and shield. And as David, when the trials came, turned to God, we should turn to God. And what he does then, David calls the priest over. He's got the Urim and the Thummim, in which these little things were on the, a pouch. Some, they were, we don't, we just can't describe it, but it was something connected with the priest that they could get revelation. And so they say, should we go after these Amalekites? And God tells them, go after the Amalekites. You will have victory and not a single person will be killed. All of their family will be delivered. So that's what they're going to do. So they've decided to leave, and so they leave, and they're, they're trying to find them. And as they get ready to go, David has 600 men, and, four, and 200 of them go, we can't, we, can't, we can't fight. We can't go. We're just too tired. We, we, we're exhausted. If we went and fought, we, we wouldn't do any good. So David says, okay, you 200 men stay here. Us 400 men will go fight. And so they leave to go fight. As they're going, they're not sure where the Amalekites are, and they find an Egyptian laying in the field, and he had been a slave of one of the Amalekites. And they find him, and he's almost dead, and they give him some food, and they kind of get him up, and they say, who are you? And he says, well, I'm an, I'm an Egyptian, but I was a slave of one of the Amalekites, and I got sick, and they just left me here to die. He says, well, that's real good. He said, let me ask you something. Do you know where they are? If you know where they are, will you tell us? We'll take care of you if you'll tell us how to get to those Amalekites. And he said, well, if you won't kill me, or if you won't turn me over to them, I'll tell you. And that's where we left last week, or last time, because I wasn't here last week, but that's where we left last time. David and his men, let me get this, there it is. David and his men are going after the Amalekites who had burnt the city and had taken captive their wives and children. So let me give you the outline of what's about to happen. Of course, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. We already know that God already told David he's going to win. David's going to defeat the Amalekites. There's going to be victory. They're going to divide the spoil. And we'll see some, some great truths there. So let's look what happens. Now, if you're the Amalekites, which there's a huge number of you, I mean, thousands, and you've got a big camp now, and you've just burned a city, you've just done took a whole bunch of stuff, cows and horses, I mean, you've got everything. And so you bring them all in there, and you're having a big party because you think you've wiped out a city and you've got all their stuff and you're having this big party and David and them come up and they say, there they are. They're having a big party. Look what happens, verse 16. When he had brought him down, when the uh, slave, the Egyptian slave had brought David down, behold, they, the Amalekites, they were spread all over the land. They were eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. See, they're, all spread. they're, they're not expecting a war. They're not expecting a battle. They're not in any kind of military camp because they're not expecting anything. They're just there. And this makes it going to be easier for David. Now, they are a lot of people down there. And David has how many people? He has 400. He had 600, but two of them were too tired to go fight. They're back at, at a brook. And so they get ready to fight and see what happens. Look at verse 17. David slaughtered them from the twilight, until, from the twilight that was that, that evening, until the evening of the next day. Fought for almost 24 hours. And not a man of them escaped. They killed them all except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. 
more escaped than David had to fight. 400 men fled. Think how many people David had killed if 400 got away of the Malachites. David only had 400 soldiers to begin with. And so they get a great victory. David knew they were going to win. What had God told him? You will win and you will deliver everyone. So the first thing I want us to see, there's three truths from this little passage, but the first one I want you to see is that God is the one that gives the victory. God told him, you're going to win. How can 400 men who were really tired defeat thousands of men? Of course, they took them by surprise, but they got them and they wiped them out because God is the one that gives the victory. And I want you to understand something, that when God gives the victory, he is our strength. As we think about going through life, you wake up every day. Sometimes we think about there's big things coming, but we don't realize that every day is a big day. Every day is special. We need to wake up every day and say, Lord, you are my strength and my shield. I want to live for you. The only way I can make it is you are the one that gives me the strength. That's why the Bible says I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. And as we go through life, whether it's a big event or just ordinary days, he is our strength. And, and, and the second thing is we're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us power to live for him. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, Spirit against flesh. They're contrary one to another. There's a battle going on, and we're to live in the power of the Holy Spirit so we can have victory. And so that's a great truth. Now, David, with that 400 men, attacks the Amalekites, kills a bunch of them, kills most of them, and 400 get away. David has the great victory because God is the one that gives the victory. Now, remember this. What had God told them? And everything that he had said always comes true. He told them they would have the great victory. He, let me see if this will work. Hold on. There he goes. God's word is always true. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, he said, You will rescue every person. And look what happened, verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything they had taken for themselves, David brought it all back. See, God's word is true. That's what God said. He said, you will rescue them all. You will take it all. And whatever the word of God says is true. Now, let me just tell you something. We have to base our lives on the scripture. Some people look at the Bible like it's like a, just a little book and everything, and you see if I can find something that matches me that I can figure out what to do. I've even known people to say, you know, the best thing to do is just, just open it up, kind of look down, and then maybe God will tell you what you should do. That's not how that works. You need to study the Bible. Let me just tell you, the Bible is the basis for our lives. And I want you to understand something. Think about this. The Bible tells us the truth about salvation. There's a lot of confusion out there, and you can talk to people all over the place, but the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again, and whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life, that God's offer is the gift of eternal life simply by faith. That's it. That's the salvation message. Let me tell you, I talk to people a lot, and I talk to people even as people sometimes visit our church, side of things. Sometimes I'll say to them, if, if, you, uh, if you were to die, you think you'd go to heaven? And they go, yeah. And I'll go, why? And did you know many of them can't tell me why? They can't tell me. They go, well, I, you know, I believe in God. I said, well, the devil believes in God. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to live good. I said, you mean it's good works or is it faith? It is amazing how many people who at maybe at one time in their life believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, but when you ask them what they believe, they can't tell you what they believe. Go back to the scripture. What does it say? 
It says, salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So go back to the scripture for salvation. We go back to the scripture for the Christian life. How do we live the Christian life? It is a walk of faith in the, in the, uh, the, based on the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're seeing. How does David live his life? It's in God's power through him. How do we live our lives? It's God's power through us. Remember, we are the, the instruments and God takes us and he can use us and we can have victory in the Christian life. And then what does the Bible say about the future? Go back to the scripture. There are people, our culture is gone to pieces. We already know it. People are saying, oh, what is God doing? What's going to happen next? We know what's going to happen next. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. He could come at any second. There'll be a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the, in the air with the Lord. That's what's going to happen next. It could happen at any second. And so we need to go to the scripture and dig the scripture to see what it says. And so when we think about the Bible, every one of us in this room study the Bible. It says, study to show yourself approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of God. You need to know the scripture. Every one of us in this room need to know the scripture. We, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you say, I need to start digging this, understanding it, make sure I understand it. That's why we teach it on Sunday morning. That's why we teach it in Grow Group. That's why we have Bible, our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights. That's why those kids are being taught the Bible. That's why the youth are being taught the Bible. That's why the college people are taught the Bible. That's why we have Bible studies because we want people to understand the scripture so you can make application in your life and know it. So study it so you can apply it and then you can pass it on. And that's the key. That's called making disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. The church, the body of Christ is to make disciples, which is evangelism and training. Leading people to Christ, training them and equipping them. Your role is to lead people to Christ. Your role is to equip them to know and understand the scripture. That's why you've got to study it yourself. That's why we have to study it and, and put it together and understand it. And this is the goal. Look at this right here. We're to equip believers to make disciples. So you've got to know the gospel so you can share your faith. You've got to know the Bible so you can train people. That's what it's all about. The Bible is the basis for our lives. So when David got into trouble, he didn't go to a witch. He went to God. and He went to the Word of God. And we base our lives, me and you, we base our lives on Scripture. What does it say? How can we apply it in our lives? What does it mean? And sometimes there's some hard passages. That means you're going to have to study it. You're going to have to see it in its context because you can't just pull a verse out and say, oh, I don't know what that means. Well, that's right. You don't know what it means because you don't know what the context is. Who wrote it? Who did he write to? What's it about? How does it flow? So the second great truth is that the Bible is, is always true. And the third thing, and this is the key one too, is that every person is vital and important. Look what happened. So they came back, remember, they came back with everything, and so in verse 20, so David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people that drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. They're coming back. David says, look at what we captured. So you can picture they had a great victory. They defeated the Amalekites. They killed all, most of them except 400. They got their wives. They got their family. They got their children. They got everything back. And now they've come back, and these 400 men with David are coming back to the brook, and there's 200 men waiting. And the 200 men have been guarding the baggage. Some would say, well, these men are much more important than these men. 
and somebody in the church is much more important than this person in the church. And the person that sets up chairs is less important than the person who's out front. And no, the truth is everybody is important. Everybody is equal. The person who sets up the chairs is just as vital as the person who teaches the Bible. The person who greets out front is just as important as who teaches the three years old. Every person in the body has gifts, talents, and abilities, and every one of us are vital and important for the Bible or for the body to function. So look what happens. When David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, had also been left at the Brook Bezor, they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with, with him. When David approached the people and greeted them, and you can imagine these 200, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're ever going to come back or not. And when they see them coming and they see their families coming and they see all these animals and things, they're all, they went, wow, this is fantastic. They all come out to greet David. David greets them. And it's so amazing. And then look what happened in verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Except maybe every man gets his wife and his children and then they may lead and depart. They're basically saying, you didn't go fight with us. You don't get any of our stuff. You get your family. You can leave. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that the way it's supposed to be? They were wicked. Let me see if I can get it. There we go. They were wicked and worthless people. But we're going to see a principle from David. And it's a great principle. Look what it says. Then David said, and he's talking to them. You must not do so, my brothers. No, this is not what we do. With the Lord, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered us, our hand from the band that came against us. Listen, who will listen to you in this matter? No, 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 we're not doing that. For as his share is to who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. Listen, if you went to the fight, you get a portion. If you didn't go to the fight and you had to take care of the baggage, you get a portion. And let me tell you something, whatever your gifts, talents, and ability are, when you stand before Jesus Christ, if you're faithful and it doesn't matter what he has for you to do, it doesn't matter what gifts, talents, and abilities he's given, if you are faithful when you stand before him, you will be rewarded. And so the bottom line from principle, David's principle is they all have a part uh, in the spoil, the one who stays and the one who ones that goes and fight and the one who stays. The spoil is divided equally. And what that means is everybody gets a part because everybody is vital and important. And there's a principle found in the body of Christ that every one of us is important. All of us have gifts, talents, and abilities to be used for the service of God. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Lord, varieties of ministries, but the same effects. Variety, and he just goes on and on and says they're all there, but God is the one that's given each person spiritual gifts. Every one of us in this room that know Christ, you have at least one gift. One spiritual gift. And what you might want to do is look in the scripture and see what the gifts are and see what you think maybe your gift is. I talk to people who have been Christians for years and I say to them, what do you think your gifts are? And they go, I have no idea. Well, how are you going to serve if you don't know what your gifts are? We have a spiritual gift inventory. If you want to come by the office sometime, we've got a spiritual gift inventory that you can fill out some things and it, might, it gives you an idea of maybe where you're gifted. Every one of us in this room are supposed to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us to serve within the body. And it's a great truth there. And let me, let me show you something that you're going to love, and that is this. 
that each will be rewarded based on faithful service. Whatever gifts, talents, and abilities you have. Let me tell you, if I'm faithful to teach the Bible, I will be rewarded. If you happen to be a person that says, I've got the gift of help, so I'm going to help set up chairs, and you're faithful, guess what? You will be rewarded. It's not what we do, it's the faithfulness. Look what this says. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment is the Greek word bema, B-E-M-A. It means rewarding stand. We must all appear before the rewarding seat of Christ so that each one of us, not in a group, each one individually, may receive compensation, may, may be given back is what it literally says. For his deeds, for your actions, for your works, what are done in this body, in accordance with what he has done, that you're going to be rewarded for your service. This has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. This is service. And he says, uh, based on the deeds you've done in this body, whether good or, and the word bad there actually means worthless. It doesn't mean like sin. It means that something that's not, that's just worthless. It's, it, there's gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and straw. The wood, hay, and straw is worthless. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Sometimes you will one day stand before Jesus Christ. I one day will stand before Jesus Christ by myself. Jean won't get to be with me. I'll say, can she come? He'll go, no, no, she can't, okay? And he's going to reward me based on whether I've been faithful or not, based on the gifts and talents and abilities he's given me. Am I faithful to use those gifts, talents, and abilities? And if I'm faithful, he'll say, well done, good, and faithful servant. If I'm not, he won't say that. And every one of us in this room, we're going to have that privilege and that opportunity. And look, he goes on to say, uh, don't you know those who run a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you win. Now, in the Christian life, you're not running against other people. You're running against yourself. Are you going to be faithful or not? That's really the key. Run that you may win, that you get the prize. So one of these days, each one of us in this room, based on how we serve God with the gifts, talents, and abilities given us, We'll stand before Christ. And you might say, well, but JB, he gets to be up there teaching the Bible. I better be faithful. And let's say that you, let's pretend that you taught four-year-olds. And you could say, well, teaching a four-year-old is not the same as teaching Sunday morning. Yes, it is. Helping hand out bulletins. We don't do them anymore. But if you handed out bulletins, you'd get something. You might get a bulletin handed out and get a reward. You never know. You know what God's going to use and how he's going to use you. The key is faithfulness. So when you stand before him, we hear him say, well done. Well, look what does. So here's a question for you. What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your abilities? How are you serving God? You, you, we don't know when it's going to end. You don't know when he's going to come back and get us all, or you don't know when you're, you're going to die and you're going to go meet him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's going to happen? Well, watch what happens. So David says, no, 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 verse 25. So from that day on, he made it a statute and an ordinance for all Israel to this day that they share equally those who fight and those who, who maybe take care of the baggage or do something else. Now, let me look, let's look at verse 26. He goes on to say this. He says, uh, now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, behold, a gift from you for the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Now, what is David doing? David, David is, has come back and he takes some of the spoil and he takes it up to some of the cities in Judah. That's the tribe of Judah. And that's his tribe. Uh, he's from the tribe of Judah. And he gives spoil. Why is he doing that? Well, you got to remember this. David's been with the Philistines for over a year. The Jews could be saying, is David even on our side now? 
And David knows he's supposed to be the next king. So he starts sending stuff to the Jews so that they'll say, oh yeah, David's on our side. Because he knows he's supposed to be the king. That's the plan. And if you look at the verses, we're not going to read them. But all that goes on in verse 27, he sent some to Bethel and Ramoth, and then in verse 28 to Ariar and to Shiphmoth, and then in verse 29, he gives some to different people, and then in verse 30, he gives some. And in verse 31, it says, and to those who were in Hebron, he sent some to a city called Hebron and all the places where they used to go. The reason it says Hebron is because Hebron is the place that David's going to be anointed as the king of Israel anointed as the king of Israel. So what have we seen? That God gives the victory. God's word is always true, and every believer is vital and important. Now let me just throw one other thing out. I know we got just a few minutes. You would think, since Saul, we're going to see in chapter 31, Saul gets killed. Who's supposed to be the next king? Who's supposed to be the next king? David. David's supposed to be the next king. You think that if God has already said David's going to be the next king, Saul gets killed, that when Saul gets killed and everything's over, everybody says, David, you're supposed to be next king. It don't work that way. The tribe of Judah says David's going to be the king. But some other tribes say, no, no, we don't want David to be the king. And David could say, but God already told me I'm supposed to be king. And we're going to see a conflict. It's going to take seven years before David is king over all Israel. And what I want you to think about that is, even when God works things out, sometimes they're not always smooth. Sometimes we say, why did that happen? Okay, you know, if God's in this, why is this happening this way? Because sometimes God allows trials and problems to come into our lives so that we trust him. Count it all joy and you fall into various trials, testing your faith, work patience, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And so we're going to see, even in David's life, that we would expect that we start chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, and it would say, and David became the king and everybody was happy. Now, it's going to take a while. And sometimes in our lives, God says, I'm working all things according to the counsel of my will, and it's going to work out this way. And we go, well, why isn't it smooth? Sometimes things are not smooth. Let me give you some applications. Let's understand God gives the victory. He does. He is in control in both the victories and the defeats, but he is the strength in our lives. He is our power. He is our strength. He is the one who gives the victory. So we got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so we can gain the victory. The second application is let's base our lives on the Word of God. We've already seen that it's right, it's true, it always comes true, it is perfect. You should know the Bible. As a believer, you should be able to say, oh, I know the Bible, I know how many books are in the Bible, I know how the Bible fits together, I know, what, I know what Matthew's about, I know what Mark's about, I know what the book of Galatians is about, I know what these passages mean, I know how this fits. You should be able to do that. It's in English. We should be able to read it, put it together, and understand it, right? We should. But it takes a lifetime. And there's so many things in there that every one of us have the great opportunity to study it. So let's base our lives, let's study it and know it and apply the, the word of God. Let's obey the word and let's pass on the word. We have that great privilege. The third thing, and this is the, the one that I, I like from the passage, is that just realize that everybody's important. Every one of us in this room, what, what, regardless of what your gifts, talents, and abilities are, you are vital in the body. There are people sitting in this room probably who say, it doesn't matter whether I ever show up or not. It doesn't matter whether I ever come or not. And it doesn't matter whether I ever serve or not. You're wrong. It matters. Every one of you are vital. 
Every gift, every talent, every bit. In fact, when you study, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he basically says, if somebody's not serving, the whole body is affected. Have we ever wondered why the, the body of Christ, the church, is not more effective in our fallen world? It's because about 80% of the body of Christ doesn't do anything. If we all used our gifts, talents, and abilities, we all loved one another the way we should, Jesus says that if you love one another, they'll know you belong to me. They'll know you're my disciples. So let's be faithful. Realize every person is, is uh, important. All of us have parts. All of us have gifts and talents. And what is amazing, we'll all be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ.